Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. So uh, the reason we call this series more than a hashtag is because uh, we've seen and you've seen, I've seen in our culture, uh, hashtags have become a part of uh, like a way of life where we hashtag everything and we see things and we make uh, comments and posts on social media that like and we, we're a part of something, we're part of this network of people um, hashtagging something. If you're not familiar with what a hashtag is, real quick, like one-on-one course, is you put the pound symbol in front of the words and then mash them all together and that's a hashtag. It actually becomes a link that you can click on or tap on, and you can find all the other posts on social media or that social media outlet of what that is. So like, for example, if you found uh, like hashtag first world problems, right? Like some of you, we've used this, like my wife and I, we had this a situation where this is, uh, I'll explain some of these too. This is like a first world problem. Like when we moved into our new home uh, back at the beginning of last month, um, one of us was responsible for securing internet for the new home. Um, and I waited too long, so then I got it, and we didn't have internet for a week after moving in. So for some of you, you're like, yo, homeboy, we haven't had internet for the half of my life. You know, like, it's okay. Uh, for us, like, where we're at, like, no internet. Anybody else in here, you feel that a little bit? Like, no internet for a week? It's just me. Okay, that's cool. Um, y'all, apparently, but like, I mean, problems with indoor plumbing, problems with your curling iron not work. I don't know, like, first world problems, like, People in the countries, they don't got to worry about this stuff because they don't even know about it. Or how about this one, like Throwback Thursday? This is a great one. Uh, some of you, like, you throw it back to when you had hair, so you love Thursdays because you can, like, or the, the, before your children ruined your body, like, you know, high school, the time you had that six-pack, like, your Throwback Thursday, like, somehow keeps coming up, like, every single week. You can share those things, kind of brag on your, your past. Or uh, one that some of my friends who work out do is, like, Flex Friday. So this is, like... This is the deal. Any other day of the week, and some of you know these people, they're sitting next to you. Like any other day of the week, it'd be like obnoxious bragging, right? But because it's Friday and it's hashtag flex Friday, I can like either do the glute or I can do like, I'm ripped, like it's whatever and like it's acceptable, right? Like, yeah, it's Friday, so I guess you get to show off. Any other times, like, dude, come on. Or how about this one? This is a funny one, like no filter, which I always think this is like, and I use this one sometimes. I always see this one as like, no, I am that good with my iPhone photography. Like, I don't need those Instagram filters. I don't need to change the colors on anything. Like, the Lord showing his glory on me to give me the perfect lighting for my plate of food. Like, so I don't have any filter on that because, you know, I keep it 100 with this picture. But you got to post it with that. What about, like, more serious ones? What about, like, love wins? Right, this, is, this is, some of you, you've used this, some of you, you might not be familiar with where this came from. This, be, this began after the Supreme Court ruled in favor of same-sex marriage that millions of people all over our country posted things and kind of unified together with this hashtag of love wins. Now, some of these are political. I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to show a point of, like, we post on stuff. How about not just love wins, what about me too? 
Like a lot of us, you've seen or you've been a part of this, this Me Too mo- movement of man, people coming out and declaring like what happened, this thing that happened to me was wrong, it was inappropriate, it was disgusting, and I want to raise my voice and I want to unify with people. That's the point of the hashtag is to bring a community of people together to form one voice. The problem is, though, this always happens after something, Right, like no one's posting, even this in particular, no one's posting like, hey, I just got this great job. It's really incredible. Like the environment's great. My supervisor's kind of weird. They give me a weird vibe. And you know, probably in six months, I'm going to be asked to go into their office and they're going to close the door and ask me some questions and put their hands on me or tell me they threatened me or whatever and hashtag me too six months from now. It's always in response to something. How about this one? Black Lives Matter. Now, again, I'm not trying to be political on this. I'm just trying to say, hey, we, we, like, there are things we got to talk about. And before we even talk about this hashtag, I feel the, the necessity and the, the weight as a white pastor to stand up and declare, black lives do matter. And again, if I get, and let me hold up for that just one second, one second. Well, you can clap. I'll just keep going. Here's the deal, though. I think that we have been silent in moments that we should speak up. And as Plato said, our silence gives consent. And as we, as a gathering of believers, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, doesn't matter what your political leaning is, when a group of people in our communities, like people that live down the street from you, not somewhere off in some other city, but people feel hopeless and feel helpless and feel voiceless, we need to listen and love those people. And I think we need to do a better job of that. But even as I was researching some of this and seeing some of this, this even this hashtag of Black Lives Matter, it's actually, this is kind of surprising, it's five years old in kindergarten. Now, if, if you know anything about social media, five years is like an eternity. And this actually, this, this hashtag has been used in over 30 million posts. But again, as you follow along with the statistics of this hashtag in particular, it's something happened and then there's a huge spike and then it goes way down because the people it doesn't immediately affect forget about it. And it just is kind of down here. And then another uh, situation happens and then it spikes up again. And it's like, we need to make our voice louder. And then something happens and we kind of forget about it. If you're not immediately affected about it, it's easy to forget about these things. And what we can do is we can become uh, happy with ourselves looking at like, man, I, I posted something about it. I did a good thing. Like I brought awareness to this. And what I would say is, I think is Jesus followers like we can set the bar way higher than that. We can do something. Not just posting something about it. Yeah, like let's, let's bring awareness to injustice in the world. Let's bring awareness to problems. But also, let's not just respond to problems. Let's claim responsibility for finding the solution to problems. Because that's who God is. God comes in to offer a solution to problems, even though he said, I didn't cause that thing, I didn't make that happen, doesn't mean I just allow someone else to clean it up. And we as a gathering believers, we need to step in to areas of society, to areas in our community and say, I'm not just going to respond to something, I'm going to go in and claim responsibility for finding a solution to that thing. I think God is all about that. I think God's people should be all about that. And if you're here today and you're like, I'm not really sure what I believe. I don't know. Like, this, like, I'm not, like I don't know if I'm even welcome here because I don't believe what you believe. Hey, we say this all the time. Anyone and everyone is welcome here. 
You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to believe what I believe to have a seat here, to have a space here. We would love for you to belong here and feel welcomed and accepted no matter what your belief system is, no matter what your sexual orientation is, no matter what your political views are. Everyone is welcome and valued and loved here because God has loved and valued every person and we want to be his representation of that here. And God is all about us adding action to what we're doing. Because the thing about faith is, and we'll talk about this in a minute, is we can say we believe something and live our lives in a way contrary to what we say we believe. So in the scriptures, there's this letter uh, written by a guy named James, who he was a, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, which you've heard this probably before, is uh, if you are struggling with faith and is this real or not, like, think about this. Jesus' half-brother believed he was God, so what would your sibling have to do to make you believe they were God? Like, I got some brothers and a sister, and like, none of them are Jesus. Tell you what. I look a little bit like him, but I'm not him either. But here's the deal. So James didn't have faith in Jesus. But then after the resurrection, James had this incredible faith in his half-brother that he was actually God. Like something happened to change James's life to believe in Jesus. So James then became a leader of the church in the city of Jerusalem where the Jesus movement began and became a leader of that church and wrote a letter to the church. But the letter wasn't a new teaching. It wasn't new doctrine or theology. It really was just taking a bunch of stuff that his brother Jesus said and reiterating it, and talking to people, and, and not giving these ideas, because sometimes we get stuck in these ideas, like you're really giving practical application. Like James wants to get all up in our business and make sure, like, do you really believe this? And if so, you should live like you really believe this, because what you believe always shows up in your behavior, good or bad. So James starts out his letter, he's talking about becoming whole, becoming complete, becoming perfect. And this is where, for us, like every single one of us want that. Even if you don't believe in scriptures, even if you don't believe in Jesus, even if you disagree with what I'm saying, like every one of us, we want to be whole and complete. We want to be able to say what we mean and mean what we say and do what we said we would do and have total integrity that I am complete. I'm not pushed all around. Even for some of you, like your identity is pushed all around. You'd love to be who you are no matter what and not have to change who you are to find acceptance. Like that's what James is all about. He just puts it in the terminology of to be wise, to be complete, to, to not lack integrity. Not in the sense of you never do wrong, but in the sense of you are who you are no matter where you are. So James brings up this idea of faith in actions. And what we want to do is we want to take that and kind of look at it a little bit and see how can we live that out today? Because again, I believe we are, should be all about finding solutions to issues and not simply addressing or acknowledging the issue, but going out and doing something. You guys feel that? You agree with that? It's okay. You can warm up. It's okay. Some of you are still waking up. It's okay. Hey, we're going to have a good service today. We're going to have a great time. We're going to read some word. We're going to talk about it. So if you have your, your Bible, you have a Centerpoint app, you can go into James chapter 2. This is what James says in his letter to the church. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? Basically saying, what's the point? What is the point if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? It gets into this hypothetical situation where it says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. Really practical, simple. Suppose someone's without food or clothes, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, 
Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Everybody say dead. dead. Now here's the reality. We talked about this a little bit. Here's the reality about, about faith is you can say you believe something and deny it with your life. And every single one of us, we have areas in life that we do this. Like I can say, I really believe exercise is really important. I don't know why you're laughing. Does it look like I don't work out? Come on. But I can say, man, I really value investing finances. I can say, I really value not eating meat. But if you find me eating steak, you're going to go, dude, you say you believe this and you act a totally different way. You said you value exercise, and yet you do not exercise. You said you value investing. You say you, you value your family. Some of us, you say you value your children. You spend a whole lot of time around people who aren't your kids. You say one thing, and this is the truth, is for some of us, we've been around people who claim to be Christians, people who claim to have faith, where they say, I believe this, that, and the other thing about Jesus, and then you're waiting for them to show up that they believe that. For a few of us, this is why we left church. For some of us, this is why you're watching online. This is why you're podcasting, because, because you've been hurt by people who say one thing and do another. And all of us have. And all of us do that. And what James is saying is, if you claim to have faith, if you truly have faith, your faith will show up in what you do. You all remember when you were a kid, the monster's underneath the bed? You ain't letting your arm go over the bed, right? Even some of you, you're grown adults right now, you know there's nothing under the bed, but sweet Jesus, that arm is staying up with you, right? Like, there's no chance that arm's going over the bed, because why? Because you believe there is something that's going to get you, and your behavior backed that up. But we got to clarify something real quick about faith. Faith is these three things primarily, and this will help some of you. This will give you an increased depth of what faith is. Faith is knowledge, agreement, and commitment. It's knowledge, agreement, and commitment, because here's the deal. Even as a child, you had the knowledge. You believed there was something under your bed that was going to get you, but when you began to learn more about that, like you know there's nothing under the bed. And you, you agree, you, like as a child, you, were, you agreed there's something under there that's going to get me. And you committed your life to keeping your limbs on the bed with you. Right? But this is where what we've done in church is we've replaced faith with knowledge. Like if I know a bunch of stuff, if I can pass the, the Bible IQ test later in life, if I can quote verses, if I can do the fill in the blank and pass the test, then I have faith. Then I'm a, a mature believer. To be honest, when we do that, we do a huge disservice to ourselves. And even for some of us, you have children, you're teaching your children this. And this is a huge disservice to children because we are finding a generation of people who go, I knew a lot of stuff, but no one ever asked me if I agreed with it. And then you leave the, the place of learning, you leave the environment, whether it's your home or your church, and you go to a professor's classroom, you go into a workplace, you go into a different living arrangement, and someone challenges what you know and you go, yeah, I don't know if I know that so much. I don't know if I agree with that so much. And what you're saying seems a whole lot more agreeable. Now, there are things in the Scripture that I know that I don't agree with. There are things in the Scripture that I know that I don't show any commitment to. I want to believe, I want to act in the right way, but the reality is I still have brokenness in my life when I don't. 
I had a conversation with a friend of mine this week, and this is where it's like helpful, this is practical. A conversation with my friend this week where we're trying to figure out, I'm talking about, like I have this thing in my life I'm trying to work through and this struggle I'm trying to like learn about and how I can like stay away from this and you know, like how can I live differently? How can I add action to my faith in this area? And I said, it's not a knowledge problem because I know a whole bunch about this. Like I could teach classes on the thing. It's an agreement problem. And my friend in a really wise way said, yeah, but it's not... You agree that the consequences are wrong, but you don't agree that the action is wrong. Like, you agree the consequences are bad, and you don't want those, but you don't agree that the action is bad. And what will happen when you do that is you're going to hide, the, like, hide yourself from consequences. And some of you, this is where you grew up in life, is you want to do things, but you want to make sure no one finds out about it. And you hide stuff, and you suppress stuff, and you stuff stuff down so no one can find it. And then you become so, honestly, fake with people. You hate it, but that's where you find yourself. This is where, this is helpful to understand faith in this context because then I can go and say, okay, so I have an agreement problem, not the consequence, but I have an agreement problem. Is is this actually wrong? Do I really believe Jesus on this? And all of us, our faith is on a spectrum. All of us, we have different areas. We agree with Jesus a lot. We don't agree with Jesus at all. Like it's all fluid and back and forth. Even different times of your life, it can be different things. But also what I know is true is people that I've interacted with, if you're a skeptic, you're atheist, you're agnostic, you probably don't have a knowledge problem. Like for some of us, like atheists, agnostics, skeptics scare us half to death because they know so much. And we feel like we're going to be dumb trying to talk with them. We're like, oh, I don't even know what to say. Like I wanna, you don't have a knowledge problem, you have an agreement problem. Like, you don't agree with what scriptures teach, which is totally fine. Again, if you disagree with scriptures, like, you are welcome here. Anybody and everybody can be here. And this is where I would encourage every single one of us, when you feel like your faith is lacking, when you feel like your faith is not showing up in everyday life, think about this. What, are you, what do you need to know? What do you need to agree with? What do you need to show commitment to? And you can grow your faith. You can have active faith even through that because when I don't agree with things or I'm not committed to them, it's really easy to doubt them. Did God really say, is this really so bad? Oh, I think just this once it will be okay. The times in my life, to be honest with you, the times in my my life that I've struggled with doubting my faith is times when I am totally disagreeing and not committed to what God's called me to do. It's never knowledge. That's where we got to go back to and change that faith equals knowledge. Like it's not simply knowledge. You do need to know things and you can be very intellectual about knowing things, but if you never agree with them, then what use are they? Talking to someone before the service, I said, it's kind of like even you think about, we talk about working out, we talk about eating healthy, we talk about finances. Like for most everyone in America, if we talked about healthy habits of lifestyle, like no one's like discovering any new information, right? Like we all know it. I need to work out. I need to eat less. I can't eat donuts. I can't eat cheese balls. I can't eat like, like we all know, like we could list out no pizza, no, like everybody knows it. But like not very everybody's committed to it, like myself included. I'm like, yo, let's get some donuts and French toast on it. Like, let's go, let's eat, but I'll, and then I'll go run later, right? Like that's where some of you are at. You, we'll do a support run group later. Like, like we'll go run, and this is where, again, with our spiritual knowledge, our spiritual agreement, our spiritual commitment, like we gotta get back to, do you agree with this? 
and asking the question and being okay with people saying no. Because if you can't question it, you should get away from it. And then also, I've heard people say, if you can't question somebody, that they will end up doing questionable things. So if you just come and listen and don't worry about anything, don't think, that's a really bad place to be. God wants us to use our minds to love him. And this is even where we see James gets so practical again. Because what is the example James uses of loving somebody? If they come to you and they need food and clothes, how can your faith be active? How can your faith be at work? Now, I see you guys, everybody here has clothes on. Right? We all got clothes. Basically, everybody here could have access to food. So if someone comes in, this isn't like upper level spirituality. This isn't like a pastors and missionaries and church workers and Sunday school teachers and Mother Teresa type thing. This is everybody and anybody. You got food and clothing. Someone has a need, you meet the need. What's so interesting is James does not show that your faith matters so much between how you interact with God but how you interact with people. James could have listed a whole bunch of things to show your faith. If you have faith, then you will read your Bible every day. If you have faith, then you will go out and serve. If you have faith, you'll go over to kids or first impressions. If you have faith, you'll be tied up with worship. If you have faith, you'll like, no, James says, if you have faith, how do you show it to people? Because like that, that, that's where it really actually matters. But also, James, if you go on a little bit further in the passage, this is where it's, it's really interesting. James says this thing about here in verse 18, but if someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Basically, we're going to argue this. You have faith, I have deeds. It says, show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons do. And they shudder. But James is saying, even the believer, the demons have knowledge of one God, but they don't agree with him and they don't live lives committed to him. So great, you believe that there's God, but that's not the qualification for faith. And, and some of us, depending on your church background, you, you hear people talk about action and adding actions and deeds to your faith, and you get, begin to like hyperventilate a little bit because you think of like legalism. Well, legalism, legalism, and like we can't have any action. Like, like God forbid we require anyone to actually show what they believe in their lifestyle. But this is where in the church, we got to understand this. is You got to look at passages like Romans 3 where, where Paul talks about that we are justified by faith alone and not by works of the law. You got to look at uh, Paul's message in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 where he talks about his grace you're saved, nothing of yourself so you can't boast, but also we can't ignore James saying your faith and your actions have to be married. If they're not, you might not have either. And this is where you, know, you got to do some, a little bit digging and understand like, first of all, like the scriptures were not written in English. Some of you, that's like revolutionary to you. Like, I didn't know. Like, that's why there's different translations because it's translated from Greek and Hebrew. And what you need to do when there seems to be a contradiction is you go back to what does the Greek and Hebrew say? And even in this passage and those other passages, it's talking about this idea of justification. But there's two sides to that. There's justification of being declared righteous and that's what Jesus has done for us, where Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that I could not live. He died in my place for me, taking my punishment on himself, my total and complete punishment on himself, the entire wrath of God that was meant for me on him. And he, through my faith in him, he wipes me completely clean and he declares me righteous. Righteous. 
That's one side of justification. The other side of justification is where you are vindicated by your actions. It is proven right. So Jesus declares us righteous, but I live my life proving, not in a sense to earn righteousness, but from a place of proving like, yes, I am righteous. I don't have to continue on in the sin that I've been living at. I do not have to choose what my flesh, what my desires want. I can choose what my spirit, what Jesus wants for me. And there are two different sides to the same thing. So before we get twisted and upset and tied up of, oh my goodness, well, you're adding legalism or you're going to require us to do stuff. Can I tell you, like, Scripture talks about doing stuff. But it's never from a place to earn the gospel. It's from a place of we've received the gospel and I want to show it to people around me. What I'd say, actually, honestly, not what I would say, I think what James would say as you read this passage is, if you were hung up on, I just have faith, I don't need to show it to anybody, you know a lot of stuff. But I don't know if you have faith. And this is not me declaring it for you. This is you looking at it. You see in your life, where, like, what are you doing? Because a lot of us, we can do a lot of things and there's no gospel in it, right? Like, and it's crazy the things that church culture has had where you have to do. You have to wear the right clothes. You have to have short hair. You can't have a beard. You can't go to the movies. You can't drink or smoke or run with people who do, right? Like, you can't do all sorts of things. And, like, there's no gospel in that. It's just man-made restrictions to control people. Where the gospel is like, okay, I, I don't, like, because I have this faith that God's way is better, like, I don't want to have adultery against my wife. Because I have this view that, that God's way is better, I don't want to be rude and angry and controlling to my children. Because I have this view that God's way is better, because I agree that God is who he says he is, and I'm committed to living that out, I'm going to handle my finances in a way that honor him because he gave me all of them, and I need to use them in a way that honors him. It's not from a place of I'm trying to earn my heavenly father's approval. It's from a place that I have the approval, so why wouldn't I want to live this way? And then James goes on to, to two examples of people who live in faith. Two people so different. So first was Abraham. Uh, so Abraham, he's like the, the patriarch of the Hebrew people. He's the father of all the people. Like everybody, when James writes about Abraham, all the Jewish people are like, yo, Abraham, like he's awesome. Like he's the best, he's the greatest of all time. Like, like Abraham basically, like think about it this way. Abraham is a Tom Brady of the Hebrew people. Okay, that helps you. Thank you for that clap. If you don't know, I'm from New England. We're ready to go tonight. So, oh, Sorry, not sorry. So this hashtag, sorry, not sorry, that means um, I'm not sorry about that comment. So, but this is where he uses the, the life of Abraham. And, and real quick, what Abraham and his wife, uh, the life that they had is they uh, were wanting children. She was barren. They could not conceive. And God promised them. He promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the entire world through you. Like, it is going to be incredible. But like, like I will do it, Okay. Like, I, I got your back, Abraham. I'm promising with you. It's nothing based on you. It's everything based on the goodness of God, that I am a good God. I just want to bless you. And Abraham waited and waited in faith. And then watch this. Some of you need to understand this and remember this for a time later in life or right now where you're at. Abraham's wife, Sarah, came and said, hey, so this thing isn't working. Faith isn't working. Why don't you take my maidservant, this woman in our house, and why don't you lay with her and conceive? And that is how we will achieve God's promise for us of a child. So Abraham stepped out of faith 
faith, did it on his own. They conceived, they bore a child. It was out of God's plan for them. It was out of faith. And because of that, all sorts of turmoil entered his house. And what you need to know is when you step out of what God has designed, what God has called you to, what the faith that God's calling you to live in, and you try to handle things on your own, you're going to mess stuff up. Even in the moment, like you think about it, like when Abraham's firstborn son came out, and oh my God, we have a child, like it's a celebration, it's great, it's exciting, like we got this boy, oh what? But then later, read the story, go back to Genesis, read it, it's not good later. And we're still right now in our culture today bearing the consequences of Abraham's choice to step out away from what God called him to do. So when you're tired of waiting on God, don't. Stay right where God's got you. It might suck. It might be hard. You might be frustrated. You might not understand. Hey, I get it. Wait on God. Because later when God does come and fulfill the promise, he, Abraham has a son, and it's great again, and like life is good, and then Abraham calls, or God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son on a mountain. Can you imagine Abraham for a minute? Like, God, you promised. Like, this, this is what you promised. I stepped out over here. I did something I should have done. And you, like, clearly showed me that was a dumb idea. I should have done that. And now I, like, I played by the rules this time, and you're calling me to sacrifice my son. And as they're going up to the mountain to sacrifice the son, the boy goes, like, Dad, like, where's the sacrifice? Like, I see we got the wood, we got the fire, we got the knife. Like, this dude wasn't so smart, I guess. Like, we got everything. Like, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham just says, the Lord's going to provide. Because he had seen the Lord provide in his life. He had incredible faith because he's seen God show up time and time again. They get up to the top of the mountain, and Abraham is about to sacrifice his son. And God stops him and provides a, a goat, a bull, over in the, the bushes. And he's like, God provided. And he pulls him out. And chances are, like you and I, we've never been in a place where God's called us to sacrifice our children even though we've wanted to. <laughs> right? But Abraham has this huge, over-the-top, wow, extravagant faith. Like he was going to take the promised child that God promised him. He was going to sacrifice him. And God, like he had incredible faith. And a lot of us in this room were going like, I don't got faith like that. Like that's not me. And that's not like hypothetical. Like that's not me, Justin. Like that's not me. I don't got that kind of faith. This is where I love uh, James goes on to the next person. So Abraham, everyone loves Abraham. They got their Abraham t-shirts on. Like, it's great in Jerusalem for Abraham. And then the next person he goes to is a lady named Rahab. And if you're unfamiliar with Rahab's story, she was actually in the city called Jericho that was in the place where God promised his people to go. And they're like marching on Jericho. They're going to destroy the city. But first they send in some spies to check things out, which, side note again, like that's not acting in faith. Some of you need to stop sending in spies to give you confidence to do what God's gonna do. Stop dipping your toes in the water. Let's go jump in. Like God's called you to something. You need to have the freedom from failure and scared. Like you just need to go and do it. God's got your back. But so these spies come into Jericho and they're there and they go into Rahab's house and she's a foreigner, she's an enemy of God's people and she's a prostitute. And some of us, like, let's be real, like, you're not a prostitute by profession, but you use sex to get what you want or what you need, right? And Rahab, you can relate a whole lot more, most of us, honestly, we relate a whole lot more with Rahab than with Abraham. 
And Rahab is there, and she, she tells the spies, when we heard about what your God is doing, we just, our hearts melted with fear, like, I am terrified that we're going to be destroyed. Please, please, please save me. And the spies say, okay, here's what you need to do. You let us out. You don't tell anybody where we're at. You take this cord and you hang this cord from your window. And when we come in 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 a couple of days or a couple of weeks, we're going to destroy everything. We're going to burn everything. We're going to kill everybody. But if you have this cord, like we will not kill you. We will not destroy you. So Rahab showed faith by simply putting a cord out her window. And the truth that, that you need to know, the truth that I hope you can understand is whether you're Abraham or Rahab, you got to follow after God and do what faith is calling you to do today. Not looking to somebody else, not hoping that you have more faith. Like even right now you're saying, I don't have faith. It's a, a prayer of the disciples, the closest friends of Jesus. Like, Lord, help my unbelief. Like you don't have faith. You just need to let that cord out your window. You do what God is calling you to do right now, not worrying about what he's called someone else to do. Not worrying about the faith you'll have when a situation happens. Use the faith he's given you right now. And that's really good news for some of us because right now we feel hopeless. And we feel like, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I had the faith. And we see the faith of other people and we're going, man, I just wish I had that. And we see the, the story of Abraham coming down from the mountain and having faith. We don't see the story where he's pulling in his midwife to his bed or his not his midwife, that'd be weird. She had a baby. They had midwife, but you know what I'm talking about. It's okay. See, we can be real and have fun in church. It's all right. But here's the deal, though. Every single one of us, we got to look to what God is calling you to do. And even with this idea, this hashtag uh, movement, and, and for us, and we want to be more than a hashtag, this is where we got to say, okay, what am I supposed to do? You don't have to do everything. You just got to do something. You don't got to take care of every single person out there. You just got to do what is God calling you. You just got to do something. One thing we're supposed to do as believers, one thing we're supposed to be known by as believers, Jesus said it this way, and John recorded it in John 13. Jesus said it like this. He said that uh, here in John 13, he said that by this, by this thing, this one thing, everyone's going to know you're my disciples. What is it? Reading your Bible. Is it, no, 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 no. It's not. It's if you go to church, if you dress the part, is if you, if you post things on social media, if you go out to the lunch after church and you dress in your Sunday best and people all know you're a Christian, it's if you put yard signs out in your yard for the Christmas services, we're going to have a bunch of Christmas services. It's, if you, no, it's none of that stuff. It's the one thing we're supposed to do is love one another. How can we mess this up so much? Like, how can we refuse to listen to other people because their argument is something we disagree with and instead of sitting down and loving and listening, then we just try to get louder. Like, for real, like, how do I mess this up? Like, we got one job. Love people. And somehow we, we messed it up. You add to your, your faith, love for people. Again, James's example is they need food or clothes. How many times do we see people in our community, they need food and clothes, and we just roll right on by? Well, there's an organization up the street that can help them. Yeah, God put me right here in the street. I think I'm supposed to help them. And for every single one of us, we think, what can I do? This is a question we've, we've asked regularly here in our gathering, and you're familiar with this if you've been around. If not, this is the first time. This is a simple question. What does love demand? Like, what does love require you to do? 
not from a place of I'm doing things so I can earn God's love. That is legalism. From a place that says I have God's love, I'm going to be active about it. That is true Christianity. That is true faith. Not just talking about it because talk is cheap and weak. I'm actually going to do something about this. What does love demand that we do for the annoying, argumentative, you know what's coming, uh, politically charged relative that's coming to Thanksgiving? You're ready for them right now. You're thinking you're getting your arguments better. You know, well, no. what does love demand for them? What does love demand for your annoying neighbor? What does love demand, like, let's get real personal. What does love demand for your kids? And, and students, what does love demand for your parents? What does love demand for the person who's part of the LGBTQ community that you have no idea how to talk to them and relate? And you feel like, oh, no, they're a leper. I can't know. Like, like what does love demand for the immigrant? What does love demand for the people who feel like they are voiceless and they have no hope? Like, what does love demand? Not if, like, am I right in this? Like, who cares if you're right if you're not loving? For the people you're arguing, that's who cares. Because you can make a point and not make a difference. And we want to be a gathering that's all about making a difference. So what does love demand? But also, second question for you, for me, is if not you, then who? Like, who's going to care for the 2,400 children in foster care in Hillsborough County? Who's going to provide assistance for the literally millions and millions of people involved in modern-day slavery? Like, who's going to be a part of this changing of our culture, not through political power, but through an expression of love of saying, no, it's not someone else's job, it's my job. Like, I might not have created the problem, but I will for sure be part of finding the solution because I don't just want to respond to injustice. I don't just want to respond to issues in our community. I want to be responsible for finding the solution. I believe that is where we will have the power of God moving through us as a gathering. Can you imagine if every single one of us said, I'm not going to try to do everything. I'm just going to do one thing. I'm just going to try to do something. Practically, what can you do? There's a few things real practical. We're going to break this down. Like, you cannot leave this place without knowing what you should do. If you did, then either you're not listening or I did a horrible job. Either are possible, right? Some really practical things. How many of you remember a couple weeks ago we had seven babies dedicated? Remember that? Everybody put your hands together. We love babies. We stood up. We pray for them. Babies are great. We love them. But here's the reality. They're going to start showing up over in our baby room. Their CC Kids environment. Like, let's not be like a community of people who like celebrates babies. Yeah, we love babies, but then we're looking around for other people to go work with the babies, to go pray for the babies. Because this is the incredible impact you can have. If you go, and like for real, we need five people today to go over and start serving with our babies. Five people, like that's not a hypothetical number. That's not a made up, like legit. Like some of you, you're not serving anywhere. You're not doing anything. You're not adding action to your faith in our gathering or outside of our gathering. One simple, super practical thing you can do is, why don't you come over and hold a baby? Pray over the baby. Talk with them. Connect with parents. That's it. You have incredible ministry. You care for someone's kid for an hour and a half. You have an incredible avenue to speak truth and life and the gospel into parents. So five people today, that's a way you can serve. You can go throughout this next season. There's Gift of Hope. There's all sorts of organizations you can go and serve at. You can be part of collecting food. You can be part of giving away food. You can be part of wrapping presents, simple, practical things. And if we're not going to do it, then who's going to do it? Nobody, probably. 
So really, really practical. One thing we're gonna do uh, this next few months is our through our generosity campaign, more than a hashtag, we're gonna raise 25 or 20,000. Why not? 25,000, why not? Let's do it. Just you guys, though. the other services heard 20, but let's go. 25,000. We're gonna raise some money and we're gonna give it all away. You can give, practically you give, and this is the deal. See, don't, don't feel like $20,000 is out of your reach. Don't feel like your $2 is not gonna make a difference. Here's a story, a true story about Jesus. Jesus is in the temple with his followers, his closest friends. They're hanging out. Jesus is probably teaching people. And there's all these peacocks coming in with their big gifts given to the temple. And it's a big show. And everyone's like, oh man, like these guys are giving so much money and they're giving so much money. And then this lady comes in, this little old widow comes in with two copper coins. And Jesus tells everyone, hey, oh, sh- sh- shut up, shut up. She has incredible faith. She gave more than everybody else because she gave out of her poverty, not out of her excess. So don't feel like you're $2 college student. Don't feel like you're $3 little old widow. Like literally you are a little old widow. Don't feel like your gift is not good enough for Jesus because Jesus will see you give and he will tell everybody, have a stop. Look at the faith that they just showed. Look at them. They're living actually that they believe that it is better to give than to receive. They're living lives that are gonna impact people. We're gonna give all that money away. Also for some of you, you need to write some big checks. Just because those people gave out of their excess doesn't mean you shouldn't give out of your excess. Just give it away and and we're gonna do something. We're also, what we're gonna do with some of that, with the money, what we're gonna do with a few of those things, we're we're gonna buy sleeping mats for people to sleep on for Lighthouse Ministries. We're gonna provide finances and resources so moms going through the Lighthouse Ministries program, like a rehab, rehabilitation, get you back on your feet type program so they can take their kids to the zoo. That's something I don't even take, I don't even think about that, I take that for granted. But for these families, being able to go to the zoo and in, like just have an influence of an experience of like, this was normal life. Like mom's not an addict today. Like we're not homeless today. We get to go to the zoo. We get to do what everybody else gets to do. Like imagine that we're gonna buy for Amazing Love Ministries, we're gonna buy two commercial stoves and they give away 25,000 meals to homeless people. We're gonna give two commercial stoves so they can just keep cooking and giving away food because they are doing an incredible job. We don't need to have a food ministry here. We're gonna go and resource people who are having an incredible impact already with the food ministry. We're gonna go to Life Care Network, a pregnancy center up in Brandon. We're gonna buy 5,000 diapers and give them to them and they're gonna repackage those in the packs of 25 and sit down with scared, unexpected mothers or parents together and talk with them give them hope and then saying, as you're choosing to keep the baby, we want to choose to walk with you through this tragedy or this struggle. Like we want to be there with you. They also do incredible counseling for people who've had abortions. Like it is, it is an incredible ministry. You need to go to our website. You need to learn about this. And then you need to become committed and act out and do something, do anything. And you do what you know you're supposed to do and you let God do the rest. Don't worry about solving all the problems. You do what God's telling you to do and you let him worry about the rest. I'm gonna close with this story about my friend Len. Uh, so Len is a guy who uh, a few weeks ago we were talking about serving with the babies and he came in and he said, I, I'm not, I mean, I have kids, I love my kids, but I'm not a kid's person. Like I would not be good in the baby room. I know you need help there, but that's not for me. So that's okay, Len. Why don't you, uh, why don't you do check-in? Like we have our security system, you help new families, greet them, welcome them, help them check-in, get all set up in the classrooms. He said, oh, I can do that. So he comes and he starts serving with that because God laid on his heart and he was scared and nervous and unsure if this is what he's supposed to do, but he stepped out and he was gonna do it because he wasn't gonna let fear be his master anymore. He was gonna let faith determine what he was going to do. And he's serving, and check this out, the, the first Sunday he's serving with kids, he's there checking people in and we start getting babies and babies and babies. 
and we need help in the baby room. And I'm gonna go, because Len is there, I'm able to go to other people that I know, like Deneen, who's incredible. She loves babies. I go, hey, Deneen, could you step away from serving on the check-in team? Could you go back to the baby room? Absolutely. Could you do this? Could you do that? Great. And they could do that because Len obeyed what God had him do. Len did what he knew he should do, and he let God do the rest. And we saw babies were being cared for, parents were being ministered to because Len stepped up and served. Because he did something. He didn't sit down around and talk about it. And as a gathering, like my desire is that we don't just talk about stuff. Like we gotta, we gotta do stuff. Never from a place to earn a standing before God. From a place of we have a relationship with God. We should be the most passionate serving people. We should give all sorts of things away. That is how the early church changed the entire impression and identity of being a Jesus follower because they lived lives with action to their faith, changing their community, never to gain power, always to express love. And I think we can do the same. I think I can do the same. I think you can do the same. So this week, like, let, let's do it. This week, one thing you need to do we have our generosity campaign you can check out on the website. You can learn all about those partners. But one thing that you need to do this week is you need to go, when you're at the store, and you need to buy some Jiffy cornbread mix. Because we are collecting boxes of Jiffy cornbread mix, and we're going to partner with other churches, and we're going to give all this food to people or who are in need that could not have a holiday dinner, either Thanksgiving or Christmas. They couldn't have a meal as good as the one they're going to get for free. Like that's the gospel on display. Freed people living in grace, freeing people from problems. And this is the thing too, parents, you can clap for that, There's no, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry if nobody else claps. This is the thing too. And, and this is like, I wanna make this so practical because if this is not practical, like you're not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. Like right now, go to the store, get some, bring it back next week. We're trying to get 150 boxes. People are bringing in cases. Like they're like 47 cents. So it's not like they're like taking out a second mortgage to get it. Like they're bringing in cases of this stuff to give it away. We did this, this past week with our four-year-old. I'm gonna tell you this story, not as a way to brag on myself because you know, if you knew what kind of dad I am, like I wanna be a great dad, I'm working on it. This is not like a great dad moment. This is just like, hey, let's, let's do this. We took our four-year-old and we talked to her about, hey, you know, some people can't afford, they can't have food. We wanna help people have food. So you wanna take your piggy bank, you're gonna take some of your money, we'll go to Walmart and you can buy some of this stuff. And she was super excited to buy something with her money. How do we keep reiterating, like, you're gonna give this away. This is not for you. And she put it in her little purse and she's going all over the store, jingle, jingle, jungle with her purse money in there. And it's like, she's carrying it around and then she's four, so she's tired of carrying it, so dad has to carry it. And we show up and we go into like the checkout, she scans it, she puts a little money in and then money comes out and we had a whole conversation about economics and how it all works and well, we didn't really, but we, like I took my four-year-old and this is the deal, like I want her to know like we have so much and Jesus has given us so much and here's the deal, my daughter don't love Jesus yet. And she doesn't. But I wanna begin anchoring faith in her that we give things away, we do something. In my family, in my house, because I'm part of God's house, we do stuff, we don't just talk about stuff because I'm a child of God, not because I'm something special. And for you, if you're a child of God, like, let's go. We gotta do stuff. Join us with this generosity campaign. Give, serve, but over everything, love people. What does love demand? Let's go out and do it. Did you pray with me? Jesus. 
God, thank you, God, for not being cheap or short with us. God, your love for us demanded that you came to earth and died in our place, taking all of our punishment, all of our sin on you and giving us your life freely. Thank you so much for that gift. I pray that we could be incredibly generous people. God, that we could give. God, give of our our time. God, give of our, our finances, our money. God, give of our resources. God, to care for people, to love on people, to be there that we would add action to our faith, that we wouldn't simply know a bunch of stuff, but we would do a bunch of stuff because you have done so much for us. God, we love you. We thank you for the grace that you've given us, God. I pray that you would remove guilt from our consciences, God, that we are not feeling guilty about not doing something. We're not feeling bad because we haven't, but we are just understanding how good you are and we can begin something today. God, I pray you would give us boldness and courage to do what you're calling us to do, God, that we can have faith, we'd have action to back that up. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.